football and stick to football. We've got a lot of news. We've got a little Friday pick six sponsored by Carson Wentz and also some draft on draft questions. Every chance I get to take a shot at this Carson Wentz bet, the big country and I had, I'm going to do it. So pick six is now sponsored by Carson I'm, Wentz. I don't know if you even saw it or not. Or oh, maybe, I saw. maybe people don't even know. Our guy, big country said that Carson Wentz was going to be a top five MVP this year. Our other buddy tweeted out that Aaron Rodgers has thrown nine interceptions. The same as Carson Wentz since like November, 2017. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I just, I live, I live for these moments of victory because like life as a football analyst is a little hard sometimes. Like you're wrong about things. Everybody lets you know it. So when you win a bet and your buddy has to do back to back shot, back to back to back shots, it's a good day. Uh, not a good day or maybe a good day for Le'Veon Bell, uh, who was recently released. We're sitting here Thursday morning. And I expect that by the time you guys hear this, he will have signed with the team. Uh, Sounds like it's down to three, and that is the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, and the Kansas City Chiefs. And guys, this is like trying to decide which girl of friends to marry. It's an easy decision. You know, like Miami's Phoebe might be fun. (laughs) And like the Bills are Courtney Cox. Like a little boring, but I understand the upside. The Chiefs are Jennifer Aniston. Don't fuck this up. It's not a hard decision. She's 50 and still looks good. Sign with the Chiefs, Le'Veon Bill. Like, it, no, you're not going to get the most touches, but you're going to win a Super Bowl ring, and you don't need money. Go to Kansas City. I think that all signs point to him going to Kansas City. And like Buffalo, I think, would be a good signing, too. I think they could use another veteran running back in that backfield. But still, like I think they want to try to manufacture some touches for, obviously, Singleton and Moss, uh, both of those guys. So... I think that all signs point to Kansas City. I don't know what the hell. Why is Miami in the mix here? Why? Why? If you're Le'Veon Bell, are you just like get me to South Beach? But why the Dolphins? I don't understand that one at all. But uh, I, if I were betting on it, I would say that the Kansas City Chiefs were probably the favorite. I think they make the most sense. You know, when you look at it, and, and you guys know, you watch as much Chiefs as anyone. You know, we're excited about Clyde Edwards-Helaire. We think he's he's going to be a really good player. He's already shown flashes that he is. But I think the Chiefs, if anything, you know, a pass-protecting veteran for third downs that still has really, really good receiving skills and obviously wants to win, you're not really paying him anything because the Jets owe him six mil, so it just all offsets that way. I think it's a great fit with Kansas City. I think he would legitimately, and we can't say they're perfect. They just lost the Raiders. It's It's a really good ad. It's a really good fit. So I hope that's where he goes. When you look at Miami, yeah, the mutual interest is a little confusing. The Dolphins are one and three. I know they expect to compete. Uh, they have a layup against the Jets this weekend, so they're probably looking at it going, hey, we can get this thing going now with a couple wins. But on the, on the other side, you're sitting there going, why would Le'Veon go there? He does spend his off-seasons training there. I know he likes it there a lot, but once again, you know, we don't have that much football left, just a couple months here. Uh, go to Kansas City, get ready for that cold weather at Arrowhead, and, and go get yourself a Super Bowl. And and more, most importantly, build your value back up because you're getting ready to be a free agent again. And Connor probably knows this, but Melo, I'm not sure if it's occurred to you, the Jets' next three games are against the Dolphins, Bills, and Chiefs. Yeah, I just saw that on Twitter. It's I was like, like oh, come on. Okay, now on. I know I mean, why. It's, it's happened. Uh, I like scorned. that move, though. Like, I've even <laughs> talked about it before. Like, I liked it. Pat Mahomes, I'm sorry, Patrick Mahomes plays with like a chip on his shoulder. I like that for Le'Veon. So if that's why he wants to go to Miami and make sure that he can put one on the Jets this year. 
I get it. And uh, like, honestly, like <laughs> it's kind of a cool play. It might be worth it uh, for him to go out there and rush for like 120 yards against the Jets. I get it. But I, I do still think that Kansas City is the best fit. And, you know, talking to a lot of Chiefs fans, even yesterday, sorry, Wednesday when the news kind of came out, I think a lot of people have expectations that like he's going to come in and he's going to be the guy. I don't think that's the case in Kansas City. I think kind of like Connor said, he's going to come in, be a, a third down back and a veteran. I still think they want to get Clyde Edwards-Alaire involved in this offense. They want him to be that feature back. But Le'Veon Bell can help him. Uh, you're giving carries to Williams right now, and you just shouldn't be. Uh, so I think that bringing in Le'Veon, which I really do think is going to happen, uh, I think it's going to be a great move. But it's not going to be like, oh, God, I better trade for Le'Veon Bell on my fantasy team because now he's a Kansas City Chief. I still think he comes in and splits carries with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I would say this. Yeah, like yeah. This is not... Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not a bust. Five weeks into a rookie season with no uh, no preseason, limited training camp, running back's a hard position for rookies to pick up anyway because of pass pro and things like that. If the Chiefs sign Le'Veon Bell or if they have signed him by the time y'all listen to this, doesn't mean he's a bust. I would say the same thing for Zach Moss in Buffalo, even though he mm-hmm. was a third-round pick. This doesn't mean Zach Moss is a bust. It just means that this team needs to add. like They need to add to that depth group especially the Bills and Chiefs like they are expecting to make playoff runs so you need and Le'Veon Bell like we've seen in Pittsburgh we've seen in New York like he's oftentimes the best receiver on his team even though he's a running back so in Kansas City like uh, that's definitely something I think they need yeah I'm with you I think when you look at it what you get with Le'Veon Bell is different than what the narrative is right he's not he's lost a step as a runner right as an inside runner and I'm not saying he's not a good running back anymore I'm just saying he's not the guy that he was at 24 years old as an inside or outside runner. But what you're getting with Le'Veon Bell is a, a pretty gritty kind of running back in a sense of he's really tough in pass pro. I mean, he'll square up with a blitzer time and time again, and he understands where to be all the time. He'll go up and make contested catches. He'll run through tackles after the catch on screens because he could pick up that extra yard. Still has the strength to do that. So I think... A lot of people look at Le'Veon Bell and they, and they think of like this flashy, you know, superstar running back. Maybe he's not that anymore, but he's a really good player, a, a really good character to bring into a locker room. He wants to win. Everybody on the Jets loved him except Adam Gase. So that tells you all you need to know. I, I just think it's a phenomenal fit for a contender. And maybe the Bills are saying, hey, we got a really young backfield. If we're going into a postseason. We need more of a veteran. And the Chiefs might even be thinking the same thing. I think that's what it is. Like, I think it comes down to that of like, let's let's take any boost we can get. You know, well, it seems like they did this last year. Is that when they picked up Damian Williams? And he ended up being damn near the Super Bowl MVP. So I do think that there's a precedent for this to happen. And oddly enough, the Chiefs have more money than the Bills. I don't know how. I want Brett Veach to do my taxes. They went Magic. from one hundred yeah. like seventy-seven dollars to being able to sign. Uh, everybody. Uh, after they signed, re-signed Patrick Mahomes, they ended up with more cap space. I don't, I don't even know how the cap works. I would I'd like to sit down in like a seminar and just have somebody talk me through it because well, I, is, I don't know. It's just fluid. It's like, <laughs> right? Well, I what does say, water look like? I don't know. What are you putting it in? That's the salary cap. We joke, right? Like we joke about the cap all the time, and it is kind of you can manipulate it nonstop. I am fascinated to see this offseason with the cap because nobody ever expected it to be a flat cap or right. go down because of the fan revenue. So it's not going to, it always spikes. 
So that's why teams are always able to get away with this. I do think teams like the Saints, the Eagles, things like that, they are going to have to make tough decisions just because the pandemic put a, a, you know, a mix into the cap that we've never seen before. Yeah, it is, man. It's going to be, it's be because we see it now. <laughs> like we see like Mahomes and Watson and all these guys getting paid. And it's like, what's this going to look like in three years? And like, hopefully revenue shoot back up and it's, it's oh, okay. Well, we made plans for this, assuming the salary cap was going to spike back up. Uh, and, and yeah, but we will see. Uh, moving on to college, gentlemen, Nick Saban, the, the most recent notable college head coach uh, to contract COVID-19. He has tested positive. His daughter, uh, Kristen, uh, tweeted, said he's asymptomatic. He's coaching from the couch. And Nick has even said, like, I might be able to coach Saturday. Like, so uh, that's what you want to hear. Like, it's unfortunate this happens. It sucks. All our well wishes are with Coach Saban. He's also almost 69 years old. Uh, so you got to be careful with, you know, I mean, he's in that age range where you got to be careful with this thing. Did COVID ever coach under Nick Saban? Because if so, he's definitely going to beat it. <laughs> it's from the Saban tree. <laughs> right. Uh, if it, yeah, I, that's a good question. You should tweet that. Uh, I will. Uh, but good. I do wonder uh, what Saturday is going to look like for Alabama. And I know that Nick Saban said, like, oh, I might be able to coach on Saturday. I wonder what that looks so like. So they have said he can't. But, like, is it going to be Hugh Freeze on a hospital bed in a booth? What's it going to look like? Because I do think that Alabama is going to try to find a way for Nick Saban to still be involved on Saturday to where somebody else is probably the head coach, but Nick Saban can still be like, hey, this is what we need to do at halftime. I know you can't text in while coaching. That's against the rules. But I would not be surprised if there's some kind of headset, some kind of setup to where Nick Saban is essentially like in the offensive coordinator booth or something goes on to where he can still be a huge part of what they're doing on Saturday. Well, and they have Sarkeesian and Charlie Strong. So, like, they have their coordinators are both former head coaches. Right. So, they're in pretty good shape in that front. Isn't it amazing how they're they're always built like that? Like, they always have... There's always somebody there that just has tons of experience that you're not even sweating it. Yeah. And, like, we talk about how well they recruit players. How well they turn over their coaching staff is more impressive to me. Like, oh, we're going to lose Jeremy Pruitt. We're going to lose Kirby Smart. Like, okay, cool. We're fine. That will be okay. And there's just always, like, there's always someone waiting in the wings. And, like, now it's actually veteran guys. It's not the young guys anymore. You know, like, Brian Dable was there, you know? Like, but they, they always do so well. So, hopefully, Coach Saban uh, gets to feel, or continues to feel well. And, you know, we're, we're looking at him very, very soon back on the sidelines. Uh, but it is something... That has to be monitored. Uh, Florida, uh, Dan Mullen is in a little bit of hot water because he said that they wanted to pack the swamp. Florida has to shut down football activities because of like 19 positive tests. So I think as much as we want to get back to normal, this is the new normal. I was saying this to someone the other day. It's like, I don't even really know like who plays whom anymore. I'll figure it out like day of. You know, like right. I know there's a game on and I'm going to watch it. it. Thankfully, with the SEC, you mentioned like the Florida game. And what's going to happen with that? You can reschedule these things. They left a week open right before the SEC championship game. Uh, and I think that even once we kind of get it figured out, I bet the SEC jumps on board with what the Big Ten is doing. And they might have to cancel some games here and there, but they're going to make up for it and do like a championship week where we're seeing other games be played. Maybe not the same format of 
two versus two from the divisions. But I, I think that we're going to see more games being played on that December 19th date, which could be like the best day in college football history. I, I was going to say, if everybody's good to go for that day, you just have this wild finish line, right? That's kind of the thought of it. And, and I think, you know, every conference is just doing their best to pivot with the, with a lot of positive tests around college football, you know, postponements, cancels, everything you have to do. Uh, I've kind of taken the same approach as you guys where, sure, we do the picks each week, but when I wake up on Saturdays or, or before I go to bed on Friday nights, I'm like, okay, here's what we know is set in stone for tomorrow and let's get to it. Yeah, that's all you can do because the, too many things change, even with the NFL schedule. Like, I've never been a memorize your team's schedule guy. Really good. Glad for that because this year it would just be an absolute nightmare. Uh, real quickly before we do our pick sixes, guys, I want to look at uh, the Heisman landscape a little bit. I don't know how you all feel. I think this is Najee Harris's award right now. Like to me, like it's it's Najee Harris's award, uh, and then like I I don't I guess Trevor Lawrence, and we haven't seen Justin Fields yet, so that could change very quickly. Based on who's playing right now, I think this is Najee Harris's award. I hope that it is because I want to see a running back win the award, but I still think that it's Trevor Lawrence's award to lose, and with limited games this season. I think our Heisman winner is going to come without that big Heisman moment. Usually that's like a prerequisite for winning the Heisman is that you have to do that. You have to have something. You have to have a huge win, a huge game against a big opponent. I don't know that he's going to get that, but I think this is almost going to be like a career achievement award. Like, oh, this guy should win the Heisman, so I think that he will. Yeah, I'm, I agree with that, Melo. It, it happens a lot. Now, it's interesting, right? Like, Clemson is one one crushing loss away and it, Alabama just runs away where you're like, okay, it's going to be Najee, right? He's already got 10 touchdowns. Uh, he, he's clearly the workhorse guy for that Alabama team that, you know, sure, they have some pretty interesting games ahead, but but let's be real. If they do win, Najee's always going to be a big focal point of that. So I'm fascinated to see how it goes, but I do think there's some kind of legacy aspect in there that happens a lot with, with really popular quarterbacks that have been popular since they were a freshman. That, that Trevor Lawrence is the front runner right now. And it's too bad that Florida and Texas have losses because Kyle Trask and Sam Ellinger yes. should be in this conversation. Best but stats. those losses, like, they kill it. Ellinger has 16 passing touchdowns. That, Do you like that? That losses affect the Heisman race? No, I don't. But because, Same. like, and it's like weird because they make exceptions. Like, when Lamar Jackson won it and he deserved to win it, they, like, that Louisville team wasn't that good. Like they beat some, like, oh, they beat Florida State. Yeah, Florida State wasn't good that year. I think if you can have a player be absolutely outstanding, like Lamar Jackson was above everyone else, and yeah, he lost a couple games. Uh, I go back to, like, what was Troy Smith who won the Heisman? It's like, man, nobody else really earned it. You're the quarterback on the best team in the nation. You can go ahead and have it. I, I get the losses. Like, if you're a Heisman winner, you don't want to give it to, like, a 4-8 and eight team. But I think if you're like a two-loss team in a, in a regular year, I think you should still be up there. But I think you guys are right. As soon as you get a couple losses under your belt, you're almost out. Like regardless of how you play, if you're a two- or three-loss team, it's very hard to win the Heisman. You almost have to just give up on the old campaign. Speaking of campaign, election season here, fellas, I think Clemson and Alabama are going to be tough for this spot because I think they're going to be splitting votes. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, you're going to have some Clemson fans voting for Trevor Lawrence versus Travis Etienne. And in Alabama, I think there are three legit guys you could vote for right now and say Najee Harris is Heisman candidate. 
Jalen Waddle is a Heisman candidate. And Mac Jones is quietly becoming a Heisman candidate because yeah. the guy's playing very well. And I think that's where we see a guy like Justin Fields swoop in. Uh, and once he gets playing, he's going to remind everybody of how good he was. Yeah. And then, and then the underrated one, you know, he had a slow start, but they won. Is your guy's guy, Shane Bouchelle. I, I <laughs> yeah. mean, they, they, he's not out because they haven't lost, right? They got four wins. And he's got 10 touchdowns and two picks, and the guy throws for over 300 yards, what feels like every single week when he has to. So I, I don't know. It's, you know, I'm just, it's just fun to watch Shane Bouchelle. And I think he at least, if we were making our top fives like we usually do, I'd have him in mind right now. I, I think one crazy thing, like you mentioned the losses, like, oh man, a loss will hurt you. But you also have to be like a power five team. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why is that really, that's some real there? bullshit. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I mean, like, I'm looking at the Heisman winners. I don't see small school guys on here. No. No, like Louisville's the small school guy you're going to find for a while. Right. And they're in the ACC now. Right. Man, Sam Ellinger has 21 touchdowns. 21 yep. total touchdowns. That interception to lose the game that did took it, him out of the race. Yeah. I'm just over here bitter. Just a bitter Texas fan. Andre Ware in Houston. Last time a small school guy was won. 91? 89. I was close. Well, I guess Jeez. Ty Detmer in at BYU was a 90. So 30, 30 years, years ago. Not that big of a deal. And even like BYU at 30 years ago, I don't know that it was like a small program. I think they were pretty damn good. They just had Steve Young. I was three years old, so I don't really remember. But I think <laughs> they were a good program then. Hell, Houston probably was too. Yeah, I think think they were uh let's take a break we come back it's pick six time all right it is pick six time because it's friday and i don't know about y'all i'm ready for this weekend it's been like a long couple of weeks i'm very very ready for this weekend to i've told mellow i'm turning my phone on do not disturb i'm locking my doors and i'm watching football and like i'm i have a pot of chili that will be going on t friday night and that's probably all I will eat all weekend. Dude, you're the chili king. I, you know, and you've never had it, which sucks. Uh, we got. I may. I don't know I'm if I can like. Can you freeze it? Yeah. And overnight. It? So I'm trying to think if I can like. <laughs> what's that like? Dry ice, you know, uh -huh. and ship. Yeah, ship. yeah, yeah. Like I'm not a very good cook, but the things I can cook, I I make very well. You're like a crock pot chef. I really like am good the, with a crock pot. The things that you, you should do make really your well. own crock pot and sell it. Ooh, no. like the Matt Miller crock pot. Dude, that would be Just amazing. go George Foreman, but you do crock pots. Make right? it like a football shape instead of like the traditional. Yeah. God, people pot. forget I went to school for marketing, not for broadcasting. <laughs> right? okay, like, why don't I have a marketing agent? Because it's you guys. That's why. That's right. It's a good idea. Well, the game of the weekend, fellas, is on the college ranks. Number three, Georgia at number two, Alabama, the Crimson Tide. Favored by six. That line has moved with Nick Saban uh, unable to coach in this one due to quarantine. I still think it comes down to players, and I still think that Bama owns Kirby Smart. So I'm taking the Crimson Tide in this one. I would not be shocked if this is a Mac Jones game over a Najee Harris game because this the Georgia defense is very, very good, and I love what they have in the back seven. Jordan Davis, one of my favorite players in the country. I think Alabama just has too much talent to be able to be stopped, basically. This one makes me nervous, and I would avoid betting on it because of the Nick Saban situation. I think that if he is able to go and he is able to be a big part of the, the game on Saturday, I think it's Alabama with no questions. But the huge question is, is Nick Saban going to be able to, uh, to take part in it? So I'm going to go with Alabama. This game, it, like you said, Matt, it moved. It's actually three and a half now. I'm going to take Alabama. I think it's a very close game, and I'm also going to take the under. I know that the Alabama offense has been very exciting. Uh, I want to see what happens. If Sarkeesian is running the whole ship, what's that going to do to the offense? 
I think this could be a low-scoring, traditional SEC, just pounded-out ball game. Alabama wins, but it's going to be a close one. The last time I picked Georgia over the SEC favorite was against LSU last year, so I'm not doing that again. I'm sorry, Georgia. I have put too much faith into you over recent memory. I think this Georgia team is really good. Um, something that we have not talked about a lot, that's an underrated storyline, Todd Munkin uh, doing a really, really nice job at Georgia right now. Yes. It's going to be curious if he gets another shot. He's had some NFL interviews before. I, it's something I'm keeping my eyes on. So good for Todd Munkin, good for Georgia, but I'm rolling with Alabama. I like that three and a half line for them. I, I think that while they looked a little vulnerable last week, you know, and still scored a million points, I think they're ready to go for this one. All right, how about this one? Bears at Panthers. Back to the NFL side of thing. The Panthers favored by two and a half. Matt Rule, three and oh without Christian McCaffrey. The Bears uh, keep winning. And they, I don't know how, but they just keep winning. So this is a tough one for me. And and I came, I kept switching my pick. I'm going to go with the Panthers, uh, I guess. I don't feel good about it, but I'm going <laughs> to go with the Panthers. I do think Matt Rule and Joe Brady are doing a really good job. They've got a lot of creative things going. Teddy Bridgewater's playing very good football. Mike Davis has been very good with McCaffrey out. So I'm going to go with the Panthers this week. Uh, not sure I would take them to cover, but I do think they'll win. I'm riding the hot hand here, and that is the Carolina Panthers. I think they kind of remind the league and the world who the Chicago Bears are. Uh, this is the Patrick Ewing theory of you're better when your best player's out. And I think with Christian McCaffrey being out, it actually opened up the offense to where you're not trying to get touches for Christian McCaffrey. And now we've seen a more efficient Teddy Bridgewater. I'm taking the Panthers in this one, probably a low-scoring game. I like that Bears defense. I still don't trust either one of their quarterbacks, though. Yeah, it's not easy. Panthers get, a, you know, get favored here. So the Bears get some points here. I'm going to go with the Bears. I think they can cover this line. I think it comes down to a one or two point game or a sneaky Bears win. I, I really, really do. And like I've said, I think it's kind of funny. The Bears just keep winning. Everybody thinks they stink. And at some point, they're just going to be like 10 and three. And everyone's going to be like, oh, shit, I guess we have to really talk about the Bears. So I, I like what the Panthers have done. I think the Bears can come into this game, run the football a little bit play really good defense. Those corners get right up in your face. Uh, Teddy's looked good this year, but I think this is going to be a very, very tough game finally for the Panthers offense. So I like the Bears to at least cover, but I think it's a sneaky win for them. That This weekend, I'm so excited for the games. Like This NFL weekend schedule is very, very good. Uh, so Sunday's going to be a good day. This one's going to be a blast, I think. Packers at Tampa Bay. The Packers are favored by one and a half on the road. I'm taking them to win. I don't think we're talking enough about Aaron Rodgers this year, guys. And that defense is nasty. If Tom Brady can remember what down it is, this might be different. But they just haven't wowed me. I really thought, like, you get Brady, two all-pro wide receivers, and Bruce Arians, they're going to be dominant. Maybe they will be by December. They're not right now. They just don't look that good. I think the Packers do and are. Jair Alexander, John with Mike Evans all day is going to be must-see TV. I'm taking the Packers. And I'm going to roll with it, too. I remember uh, sitting on this podcast and talking about how this was the Aaron Rodgers redemption tour. Too many people are questioning him. He's going to have a huge season. Only problem was that was in 2019. I was a year early, but now we're seeing it with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think that he continues to make a push for that MVP. Uh, we saw Josh Allen struggle a little bit against the Titans. I think it's Aaron Rodgers. It's down to Russell Wilson. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers has a huge game. I actually think they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by, let's say, eight points. Ooh, 
Yeah, I, I'm, I think they cover this line. One and a half, it's practically a pick em here. Now, why it's that low? I mean, of course, Tampa's at home, and there are a lot of rumors that Chris Godwin will be back. So this Tampa offense is expected finally to be fully healthy. I just don't think that really matters right now. Tampa will score uh, enough, but Green Bay, is a, they're a powerhouse right now. They really, really are. Aaron Jones, uh, Aaron Rodgers, that defense, like you said, Matt, Jair Alexander, I think Green Bay, this is one of my favorite lines of the week. I'm going with the Packers here. All right, this one, Sunday night football, Rams minus three and a half at the 49ers, which my biggest beef is the Rams actually don't have to go that far to play the 49ers because they're in Santa Clara, not San Francisco. So the the trip's an hour shorter than it needs to be. Uh, Not that that matters. The Rams would beat this team anywhere that they played. Give me the Rams, Aaron Donald. Oh, it was so good last week. Uh, and like, not just last week. He's been good his entire career. The 49ers interior offensive line is bad. Like, there's no way around it. It is bad. Trent Williams is not playing that great at left tackle either. So you're not going to get that help from the outside. Aaron Donald, I don't be surprised if he has another four sack performance. No matter who's playing quarterback for the 49ers, again, it won't matter. I think the Rams win this one and kind of put a statement on who they are. They would go to five and one. The Niners go to two and four and that hangover for San Francisco still very, very real. The injury report is loaded up with key players right now. And the way Jared Goff and and that offense are moving, I just don't see a way the Niners can stop them. And I'm right there with you. I think this one's going to be a shellacking. The Rams look really good. And in week three, they lost to the Buffalo Bills. And I think a lot of people started to say like, ah, well, they're not as good as we thought they were. Not the team we thought they were. Yeah, the Bills are just better than we thought they were. So I have the Rams winning this game. When you look at the 49ers and what they've done this season, they've been very beat up. Obviously, the only two games they've won this season The Jets and the Giants. I know high school teams that could beat those guys. So I'm rolling with the Rams this week. I think this is going to be a very, very large spread here. Uh, I'm taking the Rams. I'm taking the points. I'll hit the over because I think the Rams score close to 40. Yeah, this is not an easy one, but I'm going with the Rams as well. I think when you look at the Niners right now, obviously kind of a demoralizing loss last week and and I think the Rams you know yeah yeah that was that was putting it nicely right um man but when you look at it Sean McVay he's dialing it up right now he's clicking uh you know they have playmakers on that defense shout out to my guy Ja'Kai Polite getting his first NFL sack last week he is back baby let's go Uh, I'm going Rams here yeah demoralizing Thank, thank you for taking the edge off of it. You know? I know all about demoralizing oh, losses. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird with the Niners because it's that like you want your team to be good and win, but you also want to be right. And so when I said before the season that Garoppolo was the fourth best quarterback in the division and that they were going to struggle, I still picked them to make the playoffs, but I thought they'd struggle. And people just were apoplectic. Like you're a hater. You just hate John Lynch and all this. And it's like, no, like. I've just been watching no. it. I've been, I've been watching the last year of Jimmy G and it's just downhill. Like it's not getting better. And I, I just feel like we're at the, we're getting close to the bottom of the hill where it's just going to, you got to figure something else out. Uh, okay. Mellow's team. We get to pick this one. I don't know if you guys have seen this. They play at four o'clock central time on Monday. The Chiefs oh, I do. can't wait. So I don't know how much day drinking will be happening in the Joplin office, but it'll probably be a lot. And then we'll let's stay here. And watch Buffalo? This, game. this game's in Buffalo. They'll so, find a way to tailgate that game. Oh, I don't know absolutely. If, what they're doing, what the stance is in New York right now. They'll find a way to when tailgate. When you're listening game. to this, Bills fans have started tailgating. <laughs> like, yeah. no matter when you're listening to this. So, Chiefs favored by three and a half. And, boys, 
it's upset special time. The Bills will win this football game. I think we saw against the Raiders, the Chiefs' defense is susceptible to what? Speed. What do the Bills have a lot of? Speed. Stephon Diggs, Smokey Brown, Cole Whiteboy Supreme, Beasley. The Bills' offense has speed at the wide receiver position, and then they can just hit those body shots with Zach Moss. Fuck, they might have Le'Veon Bell by Sunday in the mix. Well, nope, never mind COVID. Sorry, never mind, but they will have Zach Moss. I think that's good enough. That offensive line can also keep people like Frank Clark and Chris Jones at bay. I know the Bills lost to the Titans. Maybe the Titans put down a blueprint of how you stop this team, but I think Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, I want the throw off in the parking lot before this game. Please, please, please. But I think the Bills win. The Chiefs cover, though. I think that's the huge storyline right there, Matt, is that this is the throw-off bowl. Uh, we've been talking about it for a couple of years. Both quarterbacks say they're on board. Each of you stand on your own sideline, get near that end zone, chuck that ball as far as you can, and let's see who has the strongest arm in the NFL. What I would like our listeners do, tweet at these guys, both of them. Adam, don't care. I want to see this throw off. I think Josh Allen might actually be able to win. But this is going to be an exciting game. This maybe is the deciding factor of where does Le'Veon Bell sign? Maybe he wants to go to a team that's actually going to use him. Maybe he just says he wants to go to the winner. Interesting stat in this one, fellas, is that the the Buffalo Bills are scoring 27.8 points a game this year. But they're giving up 28.4. I don't know if I've ever seen a 4-1 and team giving up more points per game than they're scoring. I think that's going to be a problem for them. I do think that the Titans kind of laid out a blueprint, but it's not the one that the Chiefs are going to be able to use. They can't just run the ball right down their throat. But I do think this offense is going to win. I think they can put up a lot of points. I'm going with the Chiefs in a big shootout between these two young quarterbacks. I'm going with them as well, and I think something we have to keep our eye on right now is what is the status of Tredavious White? Because this Bills team looked like a different unit without him and Matt Milano on Tuesday night, and and I think this is a good Buffalo team. I think going into this without Trey White, I don't think they stand a chance, quite honestly, unless Josh Allen, uh, you know, he finally had his first whatever game, not an MVP game. He had a lot of those early on. If Allen can get back to playing like an MVP candidate, then it will be a shootout. But I think the Chiefs covered this three-and-a-half line. I think the Chiefs win by a touchdown. So I'm actually just trying to piss Mahomes off so that he goes off like he did a couple weeks ago. Because you get your name on the bulletin board this time? Yeah, it worked for you. <laughs> so I don't think he cares what I say. You know, he just knows that I'm going to be a dumbass, basically, and go against the grain. Uh, the late game, I guess we're calling it the late game, on Monday night, the Dakless Dallas Cowboys. I had to think about that one before I said it. Host the Arizona Cardinals. Guys, it's kind of gone under the radar. Kyler Murray is having a good year, but he's also struggling with turnovers a little bit. So uh, I'm, again, a huge Kyler Murray fan, but six interceptions this year. Uh, Don't think that's going to matter against the Dallas Cowboys, though, because that secondary is god-awful. The difference could be if if Dallas wins this game, it's because of Alden Smith. It's because the pass rush of Tank Lawrence and Alden Smith, they've both been very, very good. We know the Cardinals' offensive line struggles, but I do think Arizona beats the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys fall to 2-4, and four, and we're talking about Mike McCarthy needing to turn the seat warmer off in his UConn because that man's seat is hot. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really exciting game. You talk about it being the late game on Monday night. Uh, I'm not sold on either defense. Obviously, the Cowboys have had their struggles, but all-world pass rusher Chandler Jones now done for the season. I I want to see what that does for this Arizona defense, who, when tested against real 
football teams, no offense, Connor, not the Jets or the Washington football team, they've given up a lot of points. So I think this is going to be a game where we do see a lot of points. And even with Dak being out, I, I think that the Red Rifle could come in and put some points up. Find C.D. Lamb. He wears number 88 for your team. Get that kid the ball, and you're going to put up points. I have the Dallas Cowboys winning this game, and I think it's going to be a shootout. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun one, right? When you look at it, you know, I think Andy Dalton's going to be fine, to be quite honest with you. I know the Cowboys' offensive line, it's really banged up, and that's a shame because, you know, their identity is obviously, you know, get that run game going with Zeke and then get these three wide receivers involved. Can they do that is the question, but I'm with you all the way. My talking point was going to be the same. Get the ball to CeeDee Lamb. Get him working out of the slot. He's had a monster rookie year so far. It's almost been underrated how good he's been uh, and how productive he's been when there's volume that's got to go in that offense to Amari Cooper, to Michael Gallup, as we said, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, even Cedric Wilson getting involved at times, a player that was quietly very good at Boise State. So, I look at this Dallas team. I think they're going to be okay with Andy Dalton. Not like they were with, you know, Dak is a great player. Andy Dalton is not that. But I think they'll be able to keep their heads above water. I like the Cowboys to at least cover in this one. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And Dak, I don't think anyone's actually said, but, I mean, we just assume he's out for the year. So this is Andy Dalton's show. And uh, maybe I crazier things have happened than Andy Dalton playing well enough for Dak Prescott to be a free agent after this year. Right? Right? I'm speaking it into existence, boys. Trying to make it happen. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, it's draft on draft time. Guys, it's draft on draft time presented by our good friends at Dos Equis who have saved our Saturdays, at least for the most part this year, and will continue to do so through college football season. Mello, you got the draft on draft questions, buddy. First one, longtime listener, Pat Chamberlain. He wants to know what in the world is going on with the cards and Isaiah Simmons. Dude has hardly played at all. What are you guys hearing? So uh, not so much hearing because it's so early in the year, but I think this is a, a similar situation to Minka Fitzpatrick where we praise the prospect's ability to be multiple and versatile. And, and then like so now you have to learn one position because you're not going to bring an Isaiah Simmons in and be like, this week you're a strong safety, this week you're a linebacker, especially guys in a year where no training camp, no preseason. There wasn't that ramp up time for him to learn the position. So I'm not worried just yet. I think that is a, a spot where it might take him a year to get his feet wet. It really took Minka Fitzpatrick a year to figure out what he was doing and to change the scenery. But I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be fine. I like that comp even with Minka Fitzpatrick. I do think they're both guys who, like you said, it's really hard to come in and learn just one position in the NFL and then trying to throw all these other positions at them. Going to be a little bit difficult. So I, I think it's a little bit of a project. I think he's pro ready uh, in terms of athletic ability, but learning how to play linebacker, learning how to play safety and nickel, whatever they want him to do is going to be a tough process that we probably won't get to see until about year two. Yeah, it's definitely not time to hit the panic button, right? When you look at it, I think if anything, it's a little disappointing. Did they not have a plan for this guy before they drafted him? Do they feel that the things they thought they could assign him to, he can't handle right now? Uh, did they view him as a project player when all of us in the draft viewed him as more of an impact player? Those are the questions that you have right now, but it's not one of those things where you write the player off, you know, five games into the year or whatever it may be. Uh, for someone that, you know, I, I think there were some press conference quotes about, hey, he's, you know, we're going to play him only at linebacker. And we're sitting there going, man, some of his best work might be at safety. So yep. I understand why people might be disappointed more with the staff than the player. And it's one of those tough situations, but maybe he just needs time. 
Yep, I think so too. Garrett Greenlee, next question here. Everyone has been saying the Steelers could trade for Darnold, Haskins, Rosens, whoever, uh, but do you think the Steelers could pull a Packers and draft a quarterback in the first round when they select maybe even a guy like Kyle Trask? So that was going to be what I would say, only Kyle Trask. I don't see a, a world where Trevor Lawrence is available for the Pittsburgh Steelers, neither for Trey Lance or Justin Fields, barring you know, Justin Fields playing really, really poorly, which everything we saw in 2019 would tell us that's not going to be the case. So I think it would be, a, okay, we have fallen in love with Kyle Trask or maybe fall in love with a Zach Wilson. Those would be the only options that I would see as that QB4 or QB5 uh, getting into the first round. So that's why I think Pittsburgh gets so connected to the Haskins, the Darnolds, team, players like that, because they're going to be available for a much cheaper price. But the problem with that is, you know, you only have those guys for a year if you trade for them at this point because of the rookie contract. So uh, I think the Steelers are in an interesting position where they're a really good team this year. And they're essentially every week playing themselves out of the chance to get their quarterback of the future. Yeah, and I think when you look at the guys that they could be trading for, I, one, I don't think Rosen is in there. It's, I don't think that's a good fit or an option. But with Darnold, you're going to be able to get him for like a two or a three. I would actually rather explore that option than looking at a quarterback that's, you know, quarterback five or six in this draft, whatever it may be, and look at Darnold and have him for a year before you do have to pay him and see, is this your guy of the future? What's it going to look like once he's out of that Adam Gase system? What's it going to look like when he has three or four really good receivers in an offensive line? So if I were the Pittsburgh Steelers, I would be exploring uh, that at least Sam Darnold market and seeing what it's going to cost me. Yeah, I think I would too. When you look at it right, you have to weigh, you know, how you evaluate Darnold through, you know, a couple of years in the pros, even how you evaluated him in college because the Jets have not done him a lot of favors versus what you think a guy like Kyle Trask can be. Now with the Steelers, because they're such a good team, obviously, you know, there are draft worries there of who you can get and where you can get them. But I think it also depends, right? Like we're seeing, what does Big Ben have left in the tank? If Big Ben really thinks he can go another year at a somewhat high level, I think I would lean more on taking the the flyer on a guy like Sam. Let him sit in that system if, if Ben gets hurt. You know, and once again, I keep saying it, like Sam's not getting a first-round pick. Right. If a couple teams bid, like maybe the Colts get involved or the Saints or whoever, you know, whoever it may be, then you, the Jets might be able to get a second, and the Jets would be thrilled with that. But I think the starting price is like a three and a five. And I think for somebody like Pittsburgh that can get their quarterback on the move, that can throw the ball down the field when you have a guy like Chase Claypool there, Darnold has a really close relationship with a guy like Juju. I just like that fit in that match a lot. Same. Yep. Todd Rice, next question. How high could we see a running back drafted this year after Clyde Edwards Lair, the only first round running back last year? Yeah, you know, the problem is supply and demand. There's always more supply than there is demand. It's not a shortage of good prospects like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, uh, Chuba Hubbard. You know, the list goes on. It's that there are guys like a Michael Carter or you know other players that can be had a little bit later. Hell, Kylan Hilk probably had in the day three, and he's showing himself to be a very good player for Mississippi State. So I think it's more about that. As it stands right now, there's not a team that jumps out to me. You know, as oh, who this team desperately has to go get a first-round running back. The Miami Dolphins would be one just like, okay, maybe. Maybe the Dolphins, because they didn't get involved in that in that group last year and through the draft, and they have two first-round picks, but their first-round picks are going to be in the top 10 most likely. So you don't draft a running back in the top 10 unless it's Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey. There's, in my opinion, not that type of player this year. And I actually, I really like Travis Etienne and Najee Harris. I think they're two very special, could-be feature backs in the NFL 
But I, I think it comes down to supply and demand. How many teams want a running back or need a running back in the first round? A lot of people will tell you don't draft a running back in the first round. So I think that's going to hurt the two of their stocks. I, I view them both as two, uh, like I said, feature backs. I think they're very worthy of first round picks. But there's just not a lot of teams that are sitting there saying, oh, we have to have a running back. This is a year that we have to grab a running back. Even teams like the Washington football team, they could use a running back. But they drafted one pretty early last year. So I, I think we're probably going to be looking at both of these guys maybe at the back end of the first round, but probably early second. I think that sums it up pretty well, right? It's another deep class. Of course, you'd rather have an Etienne or a Najee Harris over the guys that go in the fourth and fifth round. But we see way too many players that do go in the fourth and fifth round earn starting jobs and be efficient in those starting jobs. So I just think the league is caught on, especially more of these leagues that have built up analytics departments that have tried to manipulate the cap space, that have tried to uh, manipulate the draft capital as well, how you use it, what players hit where. And I just think that while I love those two players and if a team took them at the end of the first round and the fit was good, I would applaud the pick. I think you're always going to be looking in that 32 to 45 range for a lot of top running backs now. Yeah, yep, I would agree. Let's move it to the college world. Uh, Mason Whitlock wants to know, let's say Texas moves on from Tom Herman after the season. Who are It's a Uh possibility. Who are your realistic wish list uh, head coaching candidates? And what do you think about Graham Harrell taking over that position? No. God, no. No. <laughs> no. I'm glad we're on camera on to the for this question? segment today because you can see my face. Gra- why would you, a Texas Tech quarterback come into Austin as the head coach? I'd rather wear, no, no. I'd rather wear an <laughs> OU jersey. No. I, I don't like the fit. I don't like bringing Ugh. in a Tech guy. Or even, I, I understand that it's working and it's kind of trendy. But, like, is it working, though? Like, I know everybody looked at the LSU-Mississippi State game. It was like, oh, my God, it's working in the SEC. Then they get their asses kicked by Kentucky. Right. And is it working Score for two points or USC? Because it's not. They didn't do well last year either. So I do still think that the five wide receivers air raid offense is still kind of a gimmick. So I don't want that in Austin. I, I tell you two names that I would love to have. P.J. Fleck out of Minnesota. I think that he's one of the best coaches in the nation. I think he can build a program anywhere he goes. He's doing it in Minnesota right now. No offense. I know we have some uh, gophers that really hate us, but... If you can Mostly do it in me. Minnesota, you can do it in Austin, Texas. And, and the one that I would really like to see, go get Joe Brady from Carolina. That's so you, the one. You want to run a program, you want to be a head coach, come to Austin and do it. Bring that offense. Please bring that offense to Texas. So I don't know if P.J. Fle- Texas is like so hard to recruit because of the culture. That's the only thing I worry about with P.J. Fleck. We saw with Charlie Strong. He, he never really adapted. You know, to to what it meant to be the head coach of the University of Texas. Joe Brady would be atop my list. What about Matty Campbell? Iowa State. I mean, you he beat Oklahoma. Love it. Some Tom Herman can't fucking do. So like maybe this is the guy to hire. So I don't know if Matty Campbell's gonna ever make that jump to the NFL. Like, why not just come down? Just come south, buddy. Stop at Joplin. We'll take you out. Like Matt Campbell at Texas excites me. And but you know what? Tom Herman did. Ooh, just sure. thought of this. What about Urban Meyer? I bring him back. I love him on TV, though. Is that's the, the only thing thing that I'm starting to run into? But I do think that bringing Urban Meyer, uh, as long as he's healthy, he's one of the best coaches in the nation. Last question, fellas. Charlie Malaska wants to know which prospect are you three the furthest apart on uh, from either side of the overall consensus? 
Man, I don't know about you guys. Um, so even like from an editorial stance at Bleacher Report, like we haven't done a lot of draft stuff because two of the power conferences aren't playing. Right. And so like it's, we're waiting. You know, like I don't. I haven't done a big board for BR this year because they don't want to do it until the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are playing. So we haven't really talked a lot about prospects that like who we like, who we don't like. Um, I'm trying to think even off the top of my head. One that I'm lower on than I think most people is Kyle Pitts. I want to see what he can do. I don't know how you guys feel about him, but I've said my two cents about Kyle Pitts before. Uh, We'll see what happens. I know he's dominated in the college football world, and I absolutely love that as a college football fan. I don't know if that's translatable to the NFL, though, and if he's going to be able to get open. Huge catch radius. I like the player. I just don't think that he's as good as everybody wants him to be. Yeah, it's tough, right? You, you don't know if he's a top 10 pick like he's been touted as, but you don't want to say he's not like a, for, a first-round player and an effective pass catcher. I mean, I opened the season with Pat Farmouth as the top tight end, and I'm not just going to move off that just because he hasn't played as much as Pitts has been amazing and is a first-round player. It's a tough question because, like Matt said, there just hasn't been uh, everything aligned where you're like, oh, everybody's playing at once, and you could you could put it all together, and there's not recency bias involved, and there's not this involved. And I think the one that will be interesting for me, and maybe the consensus will move towards this as well, I do think Jalen Waddell is going to give Jamar Chase a run for his money as the top wide receiver in this class. And it's not that... I think they'll both be stars, right? It's not like I'm sitting here sweating like, oh, God, like, oh, which one? I'm just saying by the end of the... Like, Waddell is so explosive... And we saw Henry Ruggs get valued in a different way than CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy last year. I think the same thing can happen with Waddle over Jamar Chase. I thought of one, but I don't think I've told you guys. So I'll, I'll shock you with this <laughs> ranking. I have Dylan Moses as the sixth best linebacker. That's I'm with you. I Damn do it, not get mind. it. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just uh, don't get it. I'll tell you what it is, fellas. It's Sports Illustrated hype. Uh, that we've known who this guy is all along, and he's been thrown down our, you know, thrown in our faces to be like, this is the linebacker, this is the guy, this is the guy. He's not, and I actually, I don't have him at six, but I have him at five. Okay, never not mind. a bad player, <laughs> but he ain't. He's not Patrick Queen. He's not Devin White. I don't think he's a first uh, rounder. Either. I think he's Malik Harrison. No. Like good player, yeah, good player. Probably that's, third rounder. That's adequate. Um, that's a fair. You know, projection, right? Yeah. Malik went in the third or second round? Third round? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, Patrick Queen, balling. My God, he's good. Yeah, he is. Balling. So good. Okay. That's our show. Thanks to Dos Equis. Thank you to you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll be back Tuesday morning.